Hello, my friends. Eric Feltis here, life coach, speaker, actor, and host of The Great Unbecoming. This is a show about stories of unlearning. What did you let go of in order to become the person you are today? And what did you gain and learn as well? This is a show about letting go of stories that no longer serve us and stepping into our own authenticity. It's about unbecoming what society says you should be and remembering who you are and who you are meant to be. So sit back, relax, and welcome to The Great Unbecoming. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of The Great Unbecoming. Happy Pride Month. Y'all, I have such a special guest today to talk about his story and also to talk about, you know, from his perspective, the importance of pride. Believe it or not, pride is not all you know, rainbows, glitter, and, and attractive men on, on, on floats. Although we love all those things too. There's just so much more to it. So y'all, I, I can't wait for you to get to know um, my guest. This is Reverend Larry J. Morris III. He's an apostle, a digital marketer, scholar, and the spiritual director based in Chicago, Illinois. He is the founder of Larry J. Morris III LLC, which helps individuals and organizations realize their extraordinary purpose. I love that. Larry is the executive director of the Inclusive Collective, a campus ministry in the Chicagoland area and the community's coordinator at Spiritual Directors International. Larry is a PhD student in the African American Preaching and Sacred Rhetoric Program at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis, uh, focusing on the intersections of blackness, queerness, and sacred rhetoric. I cannot wait to dig into that and to hear about, um, you know, Larry, how how you got to got to where you are today, and also what drove you to dig deeper into this intersectionality. Uh, Larry is a 2021 graduate of the Still Harbor Spiritual Direction Practicum, and we'll say this at the end as well. But and I'll put this in the show notes. But if you want, you can learn more about Larry at www.larryjmorris3. Com. I finally realize why you have a three in your email. <laughs> it's in your email too, right? <laughs> it is. I hear the weirdest email, so I'm just like, okay. <laughs> now it makes sense. Hi, Larry. Hello. Hello, Eric. How are Happy you? Pride. Happy Pride to you as well. Y'all, if you're watching this in your car or working out on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts, I encourage you when you're done to, to jump over and watch this on YouTube because you got to check out this shirt that he is on. I love that shirt. Where did you get it? I don't know. Probably Amazon, honestly. Oh, it's so cute. Know, but thank you. Appreciate I love it. it. Thank you for being here. It's, it's good a, to be here. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you. So, um, you know, it's Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. I, I do want to get into your story, but before, you know, what? tell me one thing you love about Pride Month, Larry. Yeah, one thing that I love about Pride Month is it really is an opportunity to um, to celebrate, you know, all of the ways in which you know queer folks show up in the world, and even mm -hmm. the, even the diversity in our communities. And so, I love that about Pride Month. Yeah, like the the um, and, and this this leads us so so beautifully into this intersectionality that we're talking about. It's not like. Believe it or not, we're not a monolith. We don't all think, act, and feel, and look alike. Can you? We're, I know we're going to get into it, but I'm so interested. We're going to talk about blackness and queerness, but just talk, tell me what sacred rhetoric means. I'm, I'm I'm not sure I've heard that before. Yeah, and so uh, quickly, it's really just the way in which we talk about the divine or spirituality, and so 
Um, I define, one of the ways I define spirituality is our relationship with the divine, with however we may name or not name God, um, the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with um, each other, with community, right? So with mm. people, plants, animals, and the world. And so mm. sacred rhetoric is like, how do we talk about that? Mm. I guess that, I guess I examine in my work and on this podcast, the intersectionality of of uh sacred rhetoric and and queerness as well and i didn't even know it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah look at you <laughs> you know one thing i hear so often from so many men i talk to is they feel as if uh they are not gay enough for the gay community and they also feel as if they are not christian enough for the christian community so we do talk about that intersectionality and when i talk to um many black men there's also that that added element of feeling like I'm not, uh, I don't, you know, look, act the way that people in the queer community say I should look or act. And it's harder to find a safe space. Um, so, you know, first of all, and maybe this will kind of lead into your story. Did you experience that? Have you experienced that struggle of, 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 uh, the invitation to bring your wholehearted self to, to any room you walk into? I mean, yes, definitely. Like throughout my life, and even sometimes now, I think um, one of the reasons that I'm even doing the work that I'm doing is is to create that space to help create that space. Um, yeah. I will say that I think in some communities it's kind of always existed, right? But in my upbringing, you know, I grew up in the Christian church um, in a very well. In some ways, <laughs> we were progressive, mm-hmm. right, around mm-hmm. issues of like justice and things of that nature, um, like social justice or racial justice but not so much around sexuality and gender. And so there were times when I felt like, yes, I could really be like the spiritual part of myself or even be around about black liberation, Mm -hmm. Um, but not necessarily queer liberation. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in my own journey of even ordination, I was a part of a community um, who would not ordain a queer person, a black Mm -hmm. community who would not ordain a queer person. And so, um, you know, I was like, God, if you called me to this word, then someone, a community out there somewhere will, be able to see me for all of who I am and to um, to recognize like God's work in me in that way. And so um, I actually got ordained through a predominantly white organization mm-hmm. who were, they were open and affirming, you know, and then, but then it still wasn't, you know, as open as they were, it was still like a predominantly white organization or a congregation. Sure. And so yeah. like there was those elements of blackness that were not there. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's like, you know, this, this um temptation to feel divided if that makes sense right like you know yeah check a part of you at the door yeah 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 or even even with communities who are open to all parts it's still obviously for me it's like will they really accept all of this all of me and all of these different ways and so um even with my own kind of ministry and spiritual direction practice it has been about like how can i be a part of the communities who create space for Black queer folks, uh, for Black queer Christians, and even people who may not necessarily identify with Christianity, um, yeah, yeah, and hold space um, for for folks, you know, like myself. I, I have a feeling our work is is similar in a lot of ways, and I and I and I assume, but we'll, again, we'll get we'll dig into it. That the driving force has been similar for us too. Obviously, I, I will never know what it's like to walk in the shoes of a Black man. Um, but I do know what it's like to be gay and to feel like I'm less than because of that in the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And, 
And also, it's important to say that they are not the same thing for so many reasons. For one, I can check, you know, I can check my queerness at the door if I need to for a pl- out of a place of survival. And I know with blackness, you can't. Um, but I, but I, but I also want to say I think that for me, the trauma I've experienced as a gay man and accepting that. And transforming that trauma into tribulation is the driving force behind the work that I do. And I'm wondering if it's the same for you. I feel like I love talking to healers because it always comes from a place of our own personal trauma. Does that resonate with you too? Yeah. And I will be honest. Um, I did not, I mean, I think at one point in my own journey in life, I did not want or desire for like my queer identity to be a part of my public life and work. Sure. Right. Yeah, um, of course. So I'll just name that. I'll just, I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but being uh, authenticity is a value of mine. Mm. So I think as I have, you know, um, lived and tried to be true to myself and true to my sense of call or my sense of responsibility and what I want to do or what I feel invited to do in the world, you know, with the little time that I have, um, like the queer identity was and is as important as the other identities and so you know i feel like we always have a choice but i do think sometimes we don't have a choice if we want this sense of peace then we have to um to go where the invitation is and so yeah i i hear you i was in the closet till i was 25 i was engaged to a woman so i mean i was so deep in denial and 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 trying to force something that wasn't right for me and i was a teacher at the time and i remember at the time thinking you know I, I love my students and I want them to be happy and I want to be the best teacher for them and the best role model for them. And I remember thinking how terrified I felt at the thought of a student coming out to me. Cause at the time I don't know how I would have reacted. Mm-hmm. I, it's one of those things like, I don't care what other people do. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just don't want it for myself. So I hear you, you have to live in your own integrity and integrity is bringing all pieces of you to every room you walk into in order to be um, the leaders I think that you and I are called to be. Yeah. And I, I, I must say, ironically enough, um, I had a similar experience where I was doing an after, after school program with students mm, and yeah. there was a couple of students who wanted to start like a queer group. And in that moment, I was terrified. Because, you know, like, and I, I wrestled with this language of, like, being in the closet and coming out, yeah. um, which I can talk about in a second. But this idea of, like, sharing that part of myself with the public, even though the students didn't ask me to, they just wanted their own space. And so I think that's been another kind of marker in my own life where, like, okay, you say you want to be authentic. You say you want to, like, live into the fullness of who you are. And you say you want to help people. And one of the ways you could help these students is to create this space, um, you know, for them to to be in community, to explore, to talk about issues, but my own sense of uh, fear kind of got in the way of that. And so, you know, you said that and I was like, oh, I guess we do have <laughs> some commonalities in our story after all. Yeah. yeah. I also think that shame will tell us that we don't. Shame will tell us that we're the only ones that feel this way. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I so let's, let's rewind, you know, I want to hear you could start wherever you want to start. I always tell people, tell me your story. And then I really interrupt you 9 million times with questions or takeaways, but start where you want. But you know, what was it like growing? I mean, obviously, you know, you didn't always know you were gay versus you did always know you were black. Um, So what was it like growing up, you know, 
for you as as a as a Christian black boy? And then tell us a little bit about um, when you started to discovering that you were different than the other boys around you. Yeah. So I I always knew that I liked okay. boys and girls, even okay. as a kid. You know, as an adult, men and women, right? Or, sure. You know, I think one of the reasons that I use queer is because it. Um, to me, it signifies that I'm open to mm. a lot of different things and not necessarily living in these binaries. But I remember, like, as a kid, being attracted to, you know, my female friends and my male friends. And so Got I didn't, it. for me, it wasn't about, I just came into it one day. I feel like it has always been a part of my my life and identity. Got um, it. You know, and I didn't really do anything about it until, like, you know, I was in high school, like, kind of even after that. Um, but, like, those feelings um, were there and so um you know my i think this is a good question you know we can all, we can all, always only tell parts of our story so i'm trying to figure out where to, to kind of come in at but yeah so i do feel like it was always around um always a part of who i was and you know i would hear things from like family or community that were not open to that right yeah, to yeah. homosexuality or being gay being lesbian um and i think I do know that I kind of carried, that was a part of my development too growing up, right? Like hearing um, like homophobic things or like, you know, of that nature and not feeling comfortable or safe or even like just kind of brave enough to be like, okay, well, I feel like I am one of those folks, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, when I was in high school, I started to tell a couple of friends and the friends that I told, um, we were no longer friends. Like they, they could not reconcile like this Christian faith and identity with um, anything that wasn't like heterosexual, right? And so, you know, when I did test the waters, but I was who can I who can I share this part of myself with? Those folks were like, oh, I don't I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, and you know, we were no longer friends, and so wow. um, that was just like a part of like the growing the growing up kind of phase for me. And then, so I will talk a little bit about like this idea of coming coming out. So I did this whole. Um, I want to say almost like parade where I saw like some close friends of my parents mm. um, that identified as bisexual at the time is the word that I was using then. Um, and, you know, I, those experiences were different than the ones I had before because they were more loving and accepting. Right. Um, and it was some of this, well, I thought, I, I thought, I thought that you were right. So I was like, you know, it didn't feel as um, rejecting for mm. me. Uh, and so I know that's not the, the case for a lot of other people. And so I really am glad about that. I think there was disappointment, you know, from my parents because they had this idea of, sure. you know, who their son was and who they would be. And so I won't yeah. be like, he was like, oh, you know, um, a parade per se or a celebration. Um, but I do, one thing I remember um, from my parents is this idea of like, you're black and you're gay. I said yeah, bye. Yeah, yeah. Then they were still, you know, they heard gay. And so I do think that even in their own kind of understanding, they recognize kind of the social location, right? And um, how society views black black folks and how society yeah. views gay folks and like kind of this intersectionality there and this, you know, and they were concerned about safety and health and all mm -hmm. of that. Um, and I know that as they were kind of going through their own um deconstructing and reconstructing and trying to figure out, you know, their own kind of parenting and all these kind of things that I think is natural for parents to go through. Yeah. I can say that I still felt that they loved me. Like we could, we would still talk. Um, we would still pray. Like all of these things that we were doing before. Yeah. But very much still a part of my life and um, our relationship. And you even bring, with the friends that I have. 
yeah. There's a couple things, if you don't mind. For one, mm-hmm. you, 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 you know, Brene Brown talks about the difference between fitting and then belonging. And I, and I admire you mm-hmm. so much because everything you're talking about really does seem like from a child, you strived to belong. I didn't. I strived to fit in in so many different ways and to conform. Um, granted, you know, I still thought it was wrong. I, it was a combination of thinking it was wrong, thinking that God could change me. So why would I come out? Because I thought that I could be changed, mm-hmm. right? And I thought it was wrong. Um, and, but either way, like as an adult, you're, you know, you're, the work you do is the intersectionality of all pieces of you. That is belonging. Belonging is, is being f- seen safe and feeling celebrated as and because of who you are and not in spite of it. Even as a child, when you were coming out through puberty, you're like, hey, I think I like boys and girls or, you know, men and women. And people would be like, yeah, I'm not okay with that in the name of Christ, which is just so backwards. And you said, okay, I guess we're not friends anymore, as opposed to hiding that to continue to be friends with them. That's the very basic level of that. I just admire you so much for your your courage, because it takes so much courage to belong. That's thing That's thing I, one. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. And I'll just, the, what I will yeah, say is, yeah. like, I do think in, in some ways, this is why I kind of, the same as like coming out and inviting in is a little bit different for me. So yeah. even with that, it wasn't like I um, was like, out to like the whole community, if that makes sure. sense. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah, all of my relationships for the most part were, exa- yeah, like most of my relationships were were private in, in some in some ways and some, you know, that's it. Yeah. So I don't want to, what I don't want to do is paint like I told these people and then I went out and just told everybody else. But yeah. Listen, and I, I, during consultations with men, I often ask like how many people they're out to or are they out to everyone? It, it really mm-hmm. is an unfair question. I haven't figured out how to reword it. I like this idea of letting people in, but semantics you know words are important but it's hard because you know it doesn't mean that you have a billboard on your forehead that says i'm gay nor do you owe all of that information to everyone um so i I fully hear you the other thing i want to say is with 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 many black men that i talk to i hear this a lot that it's it's a question of safety because in the world that we live in uh, my parents I'm not saying that my parents didn't worry about me. Of course they did, but they will never know. And I, as a future parent, will never know, unless I adopt Black children, what it's like to send my 16-year-old Black son in a car praying to God he doesn't get pulled over that. It's just not the same. Like, we we will never know what that sort of level of, of, of fear or safety or lack of safety feels like. And it reminds me of this SNL skit after Trump won the election, <laughs> yeah, after Trump won the election, there was like a, it was a, it was a viewing party, a political viewing party and all these, you know, people were watching the TV, watching the countdown and there was one black guy in the room and all the white people were like, oh, Hillary's going to win by landslide. And every time they said something like that, they zoomed on the black guy and he was like, really? <laughs> like, you really think so? And as the night went on, every expression from the one black person in the room was like, I could have told I could have told you this. Not to say that we call could have predicted Trump would win, but like I feel like we're so naive because in our privilege as white people, we just don't experience dangers or racism in the same way, right? So that's a long way of saying I think it's so important to note what you just said of like it comes from a deeper level of lack of safety in the black community. Is that am I saying that right? Yeah, and I do think I think I'll push back a little bit Please. on, I, I do think that, um, 
that white people could be more aware of the, of the impact of racism because black people and other people of color talk about it all the time, right? And yeah. so, you know, I think if it would be different if, as a black queer man, um, that I felt some safety in the queer community, right? That could mm-hmm. be a level of safety. But even as a black queer man in the queer community, um, particularly around like a, a lot of like white queer people, there is still, you know, this level of not feeling safe. And so um, I do agree with what you're saying. I just will push back a little bit on like this idea of like white people, whether they're queer or not, um, like this inability sometimes to have mm-hmm. more compassion you know what I'm saying? I'm more empathy you do. Uh, when we talk about like race and racism. What I'm hearing you say, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying, what I'm taking from this is it's not an excuse. I, yeah. I think, I think yeah. it's where we are, but that doesn't mean it's where we, not everyone, but it's, it doesn't mean that's yeah. that we can stay there or should stay there. Is that right? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, amazing. So you started letting people in uh, and then when, and maybe it was your whole life, Larry, when were you called uh, to do the work that you're doing today in Chicago? By the way, I'm from right outside. I'm from Aurora. I think I told you this. I'm from Aurora. I always tell people that I'm from Chicago, unless they're from Chicago or live in Chicago, then I say <laughs> they're real place because they're going to call me out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Chicago folks love and protect their city. I love it. Um, I love it. I love the pride. Yeah. They're so proud of like the cold too. I, and I, and I used to be the same way. Like it's warm elsewhere. And like someone has a coat on and you're like, it's 50 degrees. Why do you have a coat on? Let them live their freaking life. Like if you want to be miserable yes. in the cold in Chicago, do it. <laughs> it's yes, not for me so anymore. I'm from Indianapolis. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. yeah Midwest. And so I, yeah. I tried to stay away from the cold as long as I could. So I was on the, West Coast for about 10 years. I get it. Um, but yeah, like, and I don't, I don't like the codes. So, you know, uh, I can't say that I would, that I would stand up for this cold weather. But <laughs> I think my call also came like at a, at a younger age too. So um, my, my mother's grandfather was a Baptist preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like my family on my mom's side in particular was like, you know, very religious, right? They grew up in the church, my mom and them did. And so, I grew up hearing that I was called to like ministry because mm-hmm. I clapped in church. You know, so like, I don't yeah. know, right? Yeah. Um, or like said, hey man, when the preacher was preaching. And <laughs> I think for a long time I rejected it because at that time I saw preachers as only people in the pulpit preaching to people, like talking to people and not necessarily in the community um, when I was younger and growing up, right? And so I was like, I don't want to do that. And, you know, I will name that I'm an introvert very much so, even with the work that I do. And so, like, this idea of being around and out with people all the time felt a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then reconciling, like, my own sexuality um, with the teaching that I was um, being taught, right, from this Christian perspective. But as a teenager, one of the things that I will credit the church that I was going to then is that the bishop would always talk about not believing everything that he says, right? To do your own research. Mm, I love and that. that I think was the first time, right, right. That was the first time that it was like, I feel like I had permission to read about the experiences of other folks. And so I started reading about, from the religious standpoint, um, like queer Christians or gay Christians, right? And their understanding of the Bible. And so um, that affirmed that there was that another way was possible, right? That just because what I was experiencing in these communities, um, there are other ways to be Christian and there's other ways to do ministry and other possibilities. And so I feel like that really helped me accept like kind of this call to ministry um, hmm. and to really like do art, go through the ordination process and go to seminary and all of that. Uh, 
because I needed to, I had to reconcile for myself first, um, sexuality and spirituality, um, you know, Christianity within myself. Yeah. Um, before I could like be like, okay, I'm going to like do this ministry thing. And then, and for me to still have like kind of those struggles and, you know, sometimes it still comes up. Right. Cause I just, I think the nature of, you know, the society and stuff that we live in, um, and all of this conservative stuff language that is going around, but I'm very, yeah. I've reconciled like those parts of myself. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, like I said earlier, when that particular church, would not ordain me. It's like, okay, if this if this call is real, then somewhere a community will affirm the work, um, or I'll do the work without having an official, you know, um, official like title or whatever somewhere. So, wow, God, again, the courage to do that is amazing, and you're doing it. I'm trying, yeah. <laughs> you're doing it. You're in the process of doing it. There's no try. I appreciate that. Yeah. Talk to us about, um, you know, I made a joke at the beginning of our uh, of, of our call today that, you know, shockingly, Pride Pride Month is not just all about attractive men on floats and speedos and, and rainbows. So, what? Uh, talk to us about like, I, I want a lesson. I want I want our audience to get a lesson. Like, what do you want people to know about Pride Month? Why do we celebrate Pride Month? What is it? What does it really mean? Why are we here? Why are we doing this this month? Yeah, I mean, I think again, it's for it's to uplift our community, right? To really take pride and to um, to love ourselves, like openly yeah. and, and outwardly, um, but also to remember that there is this this justice and this um, social justice or justice component to it, right? Thinking about Stonewall mm. um, and how you know it was really uh, about injustice that was happening right um, now i want you to, i'm going to pause you if you don't mind because i want us to talk it just i want us to assume that there is at least one person that doesn't even know what stonewall is and the reason i want to do this is a, a twofold mm-hmm. uh, on one side I, I want people to understand that it's okay if you don't know right it's not okay to stay there <laughs> right uh, we need to acquire knowledge and then implement knowledge um so so let's let's pretend that there are some people that don't even know what stonewall is like talk to us about the history of of Stonewall. Yeah. Basic. Yeah, so when basic. I think about, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, the Stonewall riots, right? Um, I always forget the date. 1969. Yeah. 1969. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, it happened at this, this lounge where queer folks would go and hang out and be visible and be seen. And so there was some issues with police and kind of the injustices there. Um, and I would name like black, queer, trans folks, yes. um, stood up for themselves and stood up for the community. Right. And so it was, it was this time of, of, you know, speaking truth to power or this time of really naming the injustice. Um, and I think what's helpful to name is that a black queer trans, a black trans woman, um, was one of the leaders of that. Right. And so, you know, I think in some ways, <laughs> Pride is being co-opted, right? That we forgot the folks who kind of started um, the inspiration behind Pride, right? And yeah. so, you know, there's so much stuff happening with with Black trans folks um, now mm-hmm. uh, that you would think that you know the queer community, even around Pride, particularly, would be more vocal about yeah. the injustices that the Black trans folks are having or facing, rather. Absolutely, Marsha P. Johnson is who Larry's talking about. Uh, 
known to have been the first to to uh, kind of stand up against police brutality. Uh, I want to. Yeah. It could be wrong. June twenty eighth, nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, and so I, 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 y'all, I do think it's important for us to know these facts and to commemorate who came before us. Uh, I fully understand as a white cisgender man that I have so much privilege, and I would not be able to be on this podcast or preaching about this topic. Uh, or holding my boyfriend's hand as we walked on the side of the road, if it were not for black trans women who came before me and made it possible for me to do that. Um, Larry, it's been so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for this super enlightening uh, and inspiring conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. I want to ask you one more question. There is there is one person listening on this to this podcast that is that is moved and feels very connected to you and your words and is inspired by you. And they are also um, afraid. They're living in fear. Um, maybe they haven't fully, quote unquote, come out. Um, maybe they're too afraid. W- what what words would you have for that one person? Ooh, that is a great question. I would encourage them to trust their own process, right? Um, that, you know, this process of loving ourselves or coming out or inviting in is different for everyone, right? And there's no... Like, I don't, I don't think there's any one particular way to do it or a particular timeline to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would invite them to to lean into the fear, right? Mm-hmm. It's to think about it, to consider, are there safe spaces or a safe person that they can go to to have conversation with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's me or someone else, right? Because um, sometimes what I, what, what I love about the term queer, it's not just, mm-hmm. Bell Hooks talks about it's not just about who we're sleeping with, right? But it's also about this commitment to to create, this commitment to push back on anything that is um, that is keeping us in fear or keeping us from living a full life. I botched the quote, but yeah, the purpose no. is behind it. Like this idea of like being queer is like we push back um, on those things that keep us down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we find ways to create a life of meaning and purpose. And so I would encourage a person to find someone to have conversation with um, and to take that risk. Yeah. I like to say that coming out is, or, or that we celebrate pride because we celebrate standing up against the grain of society and saying that we are also worthy of love and belonging as and because of yeah. who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And remind us one more time of your website and I'll, I'll make sure I put it in the show notes as well. If they want yes, to reach out to you. Uh, perfect. It's LarryJMorris3.com. And that three is because he's the third y'all. Learn something yeah, listen, new every it's day. It's about branding, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Larry, thank you so much. And y'all, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Great Unbecoming. If this uh, interests you, go ahead and reach out to Larry. And if you want any information, y'all, on my 10-week program that's designed to help gay, bi, trans men free themselves from church shame, you know where to reach me. You can email me, eric at lifecoachingbyfeltus.com. DM me on Instagram, Eric Feltus. Go to lifecoachingbyfeltus.com. Reach out to me, y'all. I can't wait to connect with you. Thank you so much. See you all next time. Bye. All right, my friends, that's all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Great Unbecoming. And if you did, please share this on your social media and tag me, Eric Feltus. That's Eric Feltus on Instagram and Facebook and Eric.Feltus on TikTok. And to make sure you don't miss another episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts and go ahead and give us a five-star review. Your ratings and reviews are really the fuel that keep us going, and we're so grateful for your support. 
And of course, check out this episode and all episodes on our YouTube channel at Life Coaching by Feltus. And finally, don't forget to go to www.lifecoachingbyfeltus.com and sign up for our email list and stay up to date on everything that's coming up and going on in our shame-free community. I will see you next time. And until then, know that in this space, you are always seen, supported, and celebrated. Bye for now.